Shalom. It is so great to be back here at First Press and uh, on the first Sunday in Advent. How cool is that? You might say a Jewish guy on the first Sunday of Advent. Absolutely. One of the first gospel tracts that our founder Moise Rosen ever wrote was called Christmas is a Jewish holiday, or at least it should be, because it's the celebration of the greatest Jew that ever lived. And so it's wonderful to be here with you today. I'm joined by my friend Susan Perlman, who many of you may know because she's spoken here before on the Christ and the Passover. And Susan is my first assistant and one of the founders of Jews for Jesus. And also Jill Dodsworth, who is a regular volunteer with Jews for Jesus here in the South Bay. And both Susan and Jill will be at a literature table after the service, and I want to encourage you to go back there and see some of the materials that we have. And uh, one I'll mention because Susan wrote it, and it's particularly appropriate for this. It's a, actually an adult coloring book called The Glory of the Messiah. And it goes through all the wonderful things that uh, the scriptures foretold at this season concerning the coming of Messiah. So be sure to greet uh, Susan and Jill after the service, and I'll look forward to greeting you as well. As Shannon mentioned, there is an opportunity for you to support the ministry of Jews for Jesus, and many of you have been doing that all the way back since the 70s. There was a young woman who came out of a very difficult background named Susan Tilleman, and she was gloriously saved in the 70s, and the Lindquists actually took her into their home and to this very day, Susan, now with her Hebrew name Shoshana, is a missionary with Jews for Jesus in New York City along with her husband, Stuart, doing a marvelous job. And I just want to say one more thing, and that is that we are living in such interesting times, such challenging times, and since the last time we've been with you, one of the most exciting and challenging things that has happened in Jews for Jesus is now that our largest work around the world and all of those countries that Shannon mentioned, our largest, is in the land of Israel. And as you know, that's been a pretty difficult place to be, especially of late as rockets have been shot into Tel Aviv where many of our staff are located, we're using this as an opportunity to talk about the hope that we have in Messiah. So we want to ask you to pray and to give and to be involved in Jews for Jesus. Consider us your arm reaching out with the message of the gospel to Jewish people here in the Bay Area, in New York, and literally around the world. We, you know, at this season, uh, it's an odd season for Jewish people because we know we're not supposed to celebrate Christmas. At least that's the way most Jewish people are raised, right? Uh, we've got Hanukkah, and uh, Hanukkah is a beautiful holiday, but then we know, and the beauty of the holiday and the, the lights, and uh, then we hear Christians singing, born is the king of Israel. What's that? And so there's a kind of a curiosity. And so at this season, what we find is that Jews for Jesus missionaries can really step up our efforts to speak to that curiosity, that uncertainty that Jewish people have around this time of year. And I, I just have to say that when you send a card to a Jewish friend, if, 
Uh, you might want to send a Hanukkah card, but I'm just curious if you're sending cards at all anymore because I know sending Christmas cards was a really big deal for many, many years, but it's kind of fallen off. You know, some people, they send electronic cards via email, but I still like to get those Christmas cards, and some of them are just so beautiful and sentiments that are expressed. And I would like to suggest today as we consider God's Word, that the first Christmas cards were actually Jewish. They were sent to the Jewish people to give us the hope of the Advent. And, uh, well, in point of fact, uh, according to the encyclopedia, the first Christmas cards were produced in England in 1843 by Sir Henry Cole and and the first American Christmas card was, many years later, produced by a man by the name of Dr. Prang. You thought it was Hallmark all along, didn't you? <laughs> In reality, these Jewish Christmas cards that come from the God of Israel to his people are beautiful. And there's literally scores of them throughout the scriptures this morning we're going to look at three of them that are so encouraging and perhaps as kicking off our Advent season might fill our hearts with hopefulness because God spoke so long ago with such accuracy and we now looking back can celebrate what the Jewish people were anticipating which has now been fulfilled through the greatest Jew that ever lived. And the first Christmas card brought to us by the Jewish prophet Micah is found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And if you want to use your pew Bible to follow along, this is found on page 658. And this is what it says, a very familiar verse to many of us. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, and you know there are two Bethlehems in Israel, and this one is Ephrata, so it's very specific. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah was very concerned in this Christmas card to tell his people then and now, first of all, where Messiah was to be born. And he says with very specific direction, look to Bethlehem. No, no, not the one over there. The one down here, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Micah, of course, was a nice Jewish boy who was writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he penned this startling announcement, and it is startling because it says the ruler of Israel is going to be born. The ruler is to be born, and, and this is actually being written 300 years after the life of King David. So there was an expectation that the, the son of David was going to be the Messiah, and that's why Bethlehem Ephrata was chosen by Micah because he knew that that was the line and lineage of the Messiah. That's where David's family was from. So this amazing prophecy talks about this city that was one of the smallest cities in all of Judea. 
And Micah tells us it's the birthplace. Where is Messiah going to be born? In Bethlehem Ephrathah, because he's from the tribe and lineage of King David. But there's a twist here in this verse, a shocking twist. Micah says, and he uses two Hebrew words to shock us. Sometimes we miss it because we don't understand the Hebrew, but the words are kedem, K-E-D-E-M, and ha-olam, H-A-O-L-A-M. And these two words speak not only about the where, but the nature of the one who was to be born. Kedem means from of old. So think about that kind of a, you know, twist, that kind of double entendre, that kind of a shock. The one who is to be born is ancient. What is he saying about this? Born and yet ancient. And then he uses the second word, ha'olam, which takes it even further, means from eternity. <laughs> so the baby, the child born in Bethlehem is ancient from eternity. There is something about the nature of this Messiah that is so shocking that in this Christmas card you can't miss the fact that this is a special person. You know, in the Jewish community, the Messiah is just basically uh, thought of as a, as a great leader. You know, but a human only. But when you really read and understand this first Christmas card, this one that Micah wrote, you cannot miss the fact that M Messiah is both human and divine. The baby born would be ancient and from eternity. And those who say that you can either be human or divine, well, Micah, 700 years before Jesus ever came, knew better. Could this be anyone from the tribe and lineage of David? Well, we don't even know the lineage and tribe of David anymore. We don't know anyone from the line of Judah anymore. You see, the temple records have all been destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So what does that mean? As I go to discuss this with my Jewish people, it means that the Messiah has already come. And that his goings forth are from the ancient of days, from eternity. He is both human and divine. And because of this, to this very day, many rabbis scratch their heads when they get to this passage. But here, you and I who know Jesus don't need to scratch our heads because we know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of this story and that Jesus does fulfill this first Christmas card. Micah wanted us to know where he would be born, but Isaiah, in Isaiah 7.14, wrote of how he was to be born. And this is also a very challenging passage for those who would not look to Jesus to be the one whom we waited for. Isaiah 7.14, which is found on page 488 of your pew Bibles, reads this way. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
An, again, another familiar verse. The sign. Something that is miraculous. A child will be born and this child will be the Messiah. Now, as I said, this idea of Messiah being born is not a concept that's very well understood in the Jewish community. We may see him as a, a, a grown man back in those days, like a riding in on a white horse to solve the oppression uh, that we were under uh, by the Romans, you know, giving us all a four-day work week. You know, we have that in mind as Messiah in the Jewish community, but a baby that seems to be confounding. A child, but that's the emphasis of this second Christmas card as it was in the first. And the sign, the miracle that this Christmas card talks about is that he would be born of a virgin. And that is where some of the controversy swirls because the word in the Hebrew for virgin in this verse is alma. And Alma is a word that means a young woman of marriageable age. The word for virgin, technically in the Hebrew, is Betulah. And so the rabbis who want to argue against Jesus say, this isn't about a virgin birth, this is about a young woman. But you see, back in these days a young woman of marriageable age was automatically assumed to be a virgin. I know we can't necessarily say that today, but that's true. And the other aspect of this word play is that betulah, while does, meaning technically a virgin, actually is used in about five other places in the Hebrew Scriptures to refer to something other than a virgin. For example, in Joel chapter 1 and verse 8, Betulah is used to talk about the widows that are still there after Israel's defeat. And so the best word actually is Alma, and 400 years before Jesus ever came, there were a bunch of rabbis in Alexandria, Egypt, and they wanted to translate the Hebrew Scriptures into the Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And what these rabbis, 400 years before Jesus ever came, used to translate that Hebrew word Alma was the word Parthenos. And Parthenos is absolutely, in the Greek, virgin. So we can see that this was actually the word, and this was actually the sign that this was going to be a miraculous birth. And that is, again, something that is amplified by what he shall be called. And the word is, and he will be called Immanuel. Immanuel means God is with us. Now, the way some rabbis might interpret that is that God is on our side, right? But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And Matthew actually comments on this very passage when he says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall 
be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So it's not just that God is on our side, but the very incarnation that we are thinking about as we enter into this Advent season, that God in his wonder and in his grace was willing in the Son to set aside his glory and take upon himself human flesh and come and dwell in our midst and be with us. Isaiah, again, 700 years before Jesus ever came, writing to tell us of this great hope and this great glory. And we just get a little taste of it, a little snapshot of it in this second Christmas card. But the taken together, we see this picture unfolding, this tapestry of beauty concerning who the Messiah is to come. Where he was to be born? Bethlehem Ephrata. Ancient from eternity. How was he to be born? Miraculously, as a virgin, from a virgin, and, and, and actually God with us. And then thirdly, the oldest Christmas card in the scriptures tells us why he was to be born. And that's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. This is an amazing prediction answering this profound question, why? All the way back to the beginning. It's an amazing story of a woman who is tempted, who takes the bait, and with her husband falls victim to a lie from the serpent in the garden. She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God cursed the serpent. And theologians call this passage the Proto-Evangelion. The technical term in the Greek means the first evangelistic statement, the first gospel statement in all of the scriptures, a Christmas card to you and to me from the Torah, from the first five books of Moses telling us, God says to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than any beast in the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's a mysterious, kind of a poetic passage, isn't it? All the way back to the earliest of times, and yet it's just as hopeful a Christmas card as any. This poetry, this powerful, rich symbolism that God has given us in the Bible speaks to the problem that we see all around us today. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's fallen. People do lose their jobs. People do have cancer. Wars and debates and discord exist all around us. And we say, why? And God tells us why. Because there's enmity there. And we don't like to talk about or use this word, but it's the word in the Bible, sin. 
Sin has separated us from God and His glory, and it has separated us from one another. And so this problem of enmity exists. And you cannot understand the glory of what we're anticipating with the advent and the salvation that Messiah brought unless you understand the reason. And that is to deal with the problem of sin. To deal with the enmity that is so ever-present in our world that we long to see these children we're talking about. What would make the world a better place? Jesus has already given all that is needed to accomplish that, even in this ancient Christmas card. And it has to do with the word seed. In Hebrew, zerah, zerah. And, uh, of course, seed is not the kind that you plant in a vegetable garden. Seed is the way to speak about humanity. And so this proto-evangelion, this first gospel announcement, gives us the first word of hope in dealing with the enmity, and it has to do with the fact that there is a seed that's going to come. And here's the strange thing. Throughout the Bible, it talks about Seed primarily with regard to the male contribution, right? And yet in this early passage, it talks about the seed of the woman. So there's twists and turns and mystery in all of these Christmas cards. And of course, that's a reflection back to what we read about in the Christmas card Isaiah gave us in Isaiah 7, 14, that a woman would give birth without the help of a man, without knowing a man. And God intended to do this. And we won't go into all the theology behind that. You'll have to talk to Shannon about that some other time. But there is a richness and the depth of theology concerning this. Why did God say seed of the woman? It seems such a strange passage. And of course, Paul talks about this much more as well. God was interested in showing the miraculous nature of this birth. And the theological complexity is woven into this earliest of Christmas cards. Seed leads to Savior. This seed of the woman will be the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Again, poetic language but very understandable when you think about it. Because what happens when you have a serpent and it's slithering around and you step your heel on the head of that serpent. You get bit and that hurts. That's painful. It could be very, very serious. But it ends ultimately with the death of the serpent for sure. Now we know that Jesus is the seed of the woman. He is the one. He, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has crushed Satan under his foot so that we who know Messiah can have the reverse of the curse in our own lives. We can experience the healing that is brought about through the suffering and death and resurrection of the Messiah, the sin that we have, the enmity that we have between God, between others, starts to heal. 
And there's a wonderful Aramaic translation called the Targum that predated the time of Jesus that said, this seed is none other than the Messiah. So there was this expectation going all the way back before the time of Jesus that the Messiah was coming, and ultimately, why would he come? To deal with the brokenness, to deal with the problem of sin, to deal with that which went all the way back to the garden, to reverse the curse of the brokenness that we live with today. And Jesus offers that hope. He offers that healing. He brings for anyone who would, who would know him, who would experience his grace, that wonderful, wonderful redemption. Born in Bethlehem from ancient times, from eternity. Where? How? As a sign, as a miracle, from a virgin, God himself with us. And why? To crush the enmity and the brokenness of this world through his powerful resurrection from the dead. And we are celebrating that here today. We are the beneficiaries of all of these and so many more Christmas cards, gifts from God, because he wants us to know. And he's been telling us this story for almost 3,000 years. And my prayer is that it will be refreshed and renewed within us as we move through this season of Advent. And that we will see that everything that God said in his word is true, is trustworthy, and makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> there was a boy who, thank you, praise the Lord indeed, yeah. There was a boy who was with his father traveling in a car. And a bee flew through the window and was buzzing around. And the boy began to panic because he was highly allergic to bee stings. And both the boy and his father knew his life was in danger. And as the boy screamed and, and slid back and forth in the car, his father actually just reached out and grabbed the bee in his hand. And as he crushed it, he opened it. And you could see the stinger in the hand. And he said, look, son, this bee can't hurt you anymore. As that father did for his little boy in the car, our Heavenly Father has done for us through His Son, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, born to die, the righteous servant, our Messiah. What a wonderful hope. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank and praise You for who You are, that You are the Messiah that you are the hope of all the nations, that you are the one who delivers us from the darkness of this world, that you are the fulfillment of all the hope and all the promise of all the prophets who've gone before, and we put our hope in you in a fresh and new way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.